0: Welcome to AI Named This Show. I'm Tasia Custodi,
1: And I'm Tristan Jutra.
0: And we're your human hosts. On today's episode, we have a little bit of follow-up on President Biden's executive order on AI. We've got what's slowly becoming one of my favorite things, a Microsoft whoopsie doopsie and a whole lot on the UK AI Safety Summit, which is totally going to save us all from the AI apocalypse. Right? Right?
1: <laughs>
0: well, hello, to our listeners in Denmark. And Tristan, do you know how you say hi in Danish?
1: Hi. 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 Oh, hi. So perfect. Love it. We nailed that that one for sure. That's the kind of language I can get behind.
0: We really, really nailed it. Well, Tristan, why don't you kick us off with a little bit of follow-up?
1: Well, last week we talked about AI regulation in the context of the... US executive order on AI and it was a good time good time was had by all as I'm sure you can agree and one of the points that uh, was that came up during that conversation um, or during the in the executive order itself was the idea of standardized digital watermarking rules so in previous episodes we've talked about watermarking um, either with a little logos like the adobe's cr logo or there are some imperceptible watermarks um, such as those uh, developed by google and then there's some kind of watermarking you can do in text itself just the the word patterns and the like and the uh by you know, so the, with the image ones, for example, you imperceptible in, in watermarks into the pixels and the meta met, and or metadata of images, or using a transparency to show the provenance of the content. So in the in the executive order, it includes uh, this as a necessary and effective way to prevent AI disinformation and protect content creators' rights. So that's totally going to you know stop our deepfake problem and you mm-hmm. know right right.
0: Yeah. It's just going to solve it just like that. It's it's been this easy the whole time.
1: (laughs) Well, as it turns out, um, even watermarking AI generated content isn't foolproof and uh, current methods can be broken or faked by malicious actors. Or, uh, you know, you even think about those who may be in uh, different jurisdictions who don't have to follow the same rules. And, you know, all our issues that we have aren't necessarily domestic, right? So, you know, if there's Open source gen- image generation platforms that anyone can uh, adapt and modify for themselves. They could dispense with any digital watermarking in there. So, like Stable Stable Diffusion, one of the most you know popular platforms uh, is open source. So, you know they they could add it in there. But if someone forks it, forks the code and does uh, you know it takes it makes their own project out of it. No watermarking there. Uh, there's also some privacy and security concerns, too. For example, if you're a, a satirist, you know, you know g- generating images under an authoritarian regime that's not fond of criticism, well, digital watermarking that uh, shows the provenance of the image, well, that could tie it back to you. And maybe you don't want that if you're anonymous or pseudonymous. So again, all of these things that we're trying to do to in the interests of safety and regulation, and safety is gonna be our theme today, AI safety. Um, sometimes they're, 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 they're for, sh- I mean, saying for show may, may, may be a little cynical. Um, there's there's a lot of posturing right now when it comes to AI safety and AI regulation, but a lot of these uh, ideas for um, you know prevention and safety can easily be uh, thwarted or undermined, so. argument then the conversation is what's the point of spending that much energy on things like this too right you gotta you gotta think it through
0: it's a lot about what we've been saying of another wait and see i guess we'll (laughs) wait and see how and if this actually works (laughs) which we just love well tristan i have another little wee bit of follow-up for you and maybe kind of some exciting news for certain organizations Because the National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST, is inviting organizations with expertise and capabilities in artificial intelligence safety to join its new consortium that aims to foster innovation and AI trustworthiness. The consortium is part of the U.S. AI Safety Institute, which is led by NIST, and it aligns pretty well with the recent executive order that we've been talking about. So... The consortium members will enter into cooperative R&D agreements in areas such as metrology, human AI teaming, and interaction and economic analysis. They will also contribute in project infrastructure support and events. So here's the rub for those interested. NIST will host a consortium workshop on November 17th, two weeks. (laughs) Mark your calendars because it's two weeks before its deadline for accepting letters of interest on December 2nd. So if you are an organization with expertise in AI, this could be a pretty cool opportunity for you.
1: Get in there because that's the new hotness, AI research and regulation.
0: AI is so hot right now.
1: <laughs> Stop trying to make AI safety happen. Okay, so uh, and another quick little bit of, of follow-up. Uh, last week, we were talking about the uh, back and forth accusations of, uh, of doomsaying and uh, by you know, various uh, key AI thought leaders and, um, uh, you know, godfathers, you know, all the godfathers of AI, you know, so we had people like uh, Jan LeCun, one of the quote-unquote godfathers of AI, and Andrew Ng, who were uh, accusing the big tech companies and some of their leaders, like Sam Altman and Elon Musk, of uh, being uh, chicken littles and, you know, sort of asking for this regulation um, so that you know they could in- benefit from regulatory capture. Well, Jeffrey Hinton uh, chimed in on the social network, formerly known as Twitter, X, and uh, with an interesting little I- insight saying, uh, you know, they may have missed the main reason why the big, country, the big companies want regulations. He says, years ago, the founder of a self-driving company told me that he liked safety regulations because if you satisfy them, then it reduced your legal liability for accidents. So maybe this is just a whole exercise in, you know, checking the boxes. Okay, we're going to let, the, we're going to ask the government to make a bunch of rules and then we're going to follow those rules. And then when oopsie doopsies happen, we're fine. We, 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 we did everything you told us to. So as, as opposed to like charging ahead, uh, you know, we, we've seen, uh, updates with self-driving recently in San Francisco and, uh, I think Cruz has been uh, blocked from doing any more stuff recently because of a, an unfortunate incident with a pedestrian, and maybe there wasn't regulatory clarity there or, or enough to satisfy the uh, the authorities. Maybe, maybe that's the case here. And if they had done everything, if there was a, a strong regulatory framework and they had satisfied things, then maybe oh, well, you know, pedestrian or two now uh, once in a while. Eh, it's you know, it's just a cost of doing business, right? But uh, I. Th- it's one of these cases where there's there's still a lot of uncertainty. So, I when like it comes how to... you
0: very casually just said, ah, you know, hit a pedestrian or two every once in a while, oh, the cost of doing business. You just really <laughs> subtly snuck that in there. Well,
1: I mean, again, you think about the number of uh, pedestrian involved automobile accidents like with human drivers. Which totally—it's—I mean—that whole conversation is just so broken. That's
0: another episode. Be, because okay. it's a
1: new thing, so then we've got to like, it's—it's—it's—it's yeah, it's, 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 it's a large-scale trolley problem. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So anyway, Jeffrey Hinton, one of the godfathers of AI, chiming in, saying, "There's a—you know—it's not about regulatory capture. It's about regulatory compliance and uh, lack uh, dismissing with the liability."
2: Mm.
0: Well, before we move into our exciting kind of main meet. Tristan, Speaking of
2: whoopsie doopsies.
0: <laughs> I know. I really need, we need to come up with like a segment for like your AI whoopsie doopsie because this is fast becoming. S- send us your my, sound
1: effects, folks.
0: <laughs> please do. Somebody come up with something for us. Send it to feedback at AInametheshow.com and we'll use it, man. This is becoming Maybe concerning that this is becoming such a regular segment. We didn't think this would be on AI named this show, but here we are. And this whoopsie-dipsie is once again brought to you by Microsoft. (laughs) My favorite leading (laughs) whoopsie-dipsie category. They're,
1: they're, They're becoming the experts.
0: They really are. So a poll labeled Insights from AI appeared next to a Guardian story about a woman's death. And this poll, Tristan asked readers to vote on how she died. I mean
1: what do you think? Well, let's see my God.
0: I need a moment of silence, this poor woman. So the poll was very quickly removed because it caused, quote, significant reputational damage to The Guardian and its journalists. Microsoft replaced its news division, as we know, with AI and algorithmic automation. What's the worst that could happen? (laughs) Right? This happened in 2020. But the content generated by its systems has contained what we could say, grave errors that human involvement could have prevented. So I think you remember, geez, was it our first AI whoopsie-duopsie from Microsoft again? Surprise, surprise, where they, it was a travel guide where they recommended the Ottawa Food Bank as a tourist destination. Remember that, Tristan? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, good grief. So the Guardian's chief executive wrote a letter to Microsoft, like to their president saying, hey, can we have some assurances here that Microsoft, will seek that the outlet's approval before it's going to place anything using experimental AI technology on or alongside its journalism. And they also want to make sure that Microsoft will always make it clear when AI has been used because we talked about that before. We know it can be a slippery slope, but like that poll wasn't marked and it just asked people to vote on how she died. Good
1: lord, Tristan. So to be fair, this is the, a sort of tool or widget that you know, people could plug into their you know their news website or blog, but it just happened to be powered by AI. And I guess it's a new tool that Microsoft is quote unquote experimenting with, and The Guardian like you know is accessing Microsoft's uh, news platform to help you know make their websites more engaging and interactive. Online journalism has had a rough time the last few years. We've talked about its uh, challenges even with uh, the, with uh, the news in, on social platforms and in search in places like Australia and Canada in the past and with Google's uh, search generative experience, you know, s- scooping, you know, key information and pres- presenting it in the search engine results pages. So, you know, you can't you can't blame these uh, online publications like The Guardian which is a, a storied uh, newspaper from the UK for wanting to do everything they can to keep people on their sites and you look get those eyeballs on those ads but when thing when you have AI doing these things and not the human oversight there should be at least some sort of like a look a little approval hey do you want to poll on this yes or no but when a you're, little looky-loo when you're, <laughs> when you're cranking out like dozens if not hundreds of articles a day I mean, that's i mean that's a that's a lot of extra work right well maybe maybe get an intern on that or something because it's not a great look
0: and this has been your ai whoopsie doopsie <laughs> All right, should we get into the big guns, Tristan, or what?
1: Speaking of UK, AI Safety Summit, hosted by Prime Minister Rishi Sunak in the UK, trying to position the UK as AI thought leaders. And of course, there's, uh, you know, leading up to it, a lot of doom and gloom, perhaps, you know, what... What are we we gonna do to, to save the world? So basically this was a global event hosted by the UK at Bletchley Park to discuss the risks and opportunities of frontier AI which is, you know, we're talking about the new AI models, sometimes even before they come out, we're talking about the research side of things. So Frontier AI is a highly capable general purpose AI that can perform a wide variety of tasks and match or exceed the capabilities of today's most advanced models that are out in the public. So two main categories of risks that could emerge from Frontier AI that they've identified are the misuse risks, where bad actors use AI for harmful purposes like and loss of control risks where AI systems behave in ways that are not aligned with our values and attentions. And so some possible ways to increase AI safety that a lot of folks are talking about nowadays um, include creating ethical standards, ensuring transparency and accountability, fostering public awareness and education, I think that's a key one there, Mm -hmm. and collaborating on AI safety research and standards. So this is the start of a global process to identify, evaluate, and mitigate risks from frontier AI. The UK government will engage with various stakeholders, including countries, academics, civil society, and businesses, as well as, as the public to, you know, hear their views and insights on this critical topic. So some lofty goals there for sure. And this all happened last week, just as we were recording, uh, we were recording last week's episode. So this is our little roundup, uh, today. And, um, you know, there's lots of great intentions. Like the, the cynical people are saying, well, this is, this is Rishi Sunak who's not doing great in the polls trying to, you know, take the lead on a hot topic right now, right? And it was upstaged a little bit by the U.S.'s uh, executive order <laughs> earlier <laughs> the same week. So there's a little bit of jockeying for thought leadership in this whole space, of course, but, you know, that's... I guess maybe that's a good thing because it means that p- that various uh, governments are taking this seriously, and of course they're calling the tech companies, big tech, to come and uh, say their part as well before it comes to getting them in front of Congress or House of uh, Parliament or House of Lords and 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 whatnot. Once they've had, they've had whoopsie dipsies, so let's try to avoid the whoopsie dipsies on a g- global, you know apocalyptic sort of scale, I suppose. I mean, you so, really
0: can't please everybody, can you? It's like every major country in the world is trying to figure out AI safety, but it's like, you know, i sure posturing. But it was a pretty crazy list of attendees, wasn't it? People that took part in this.
1: Yeah, so we had, uh, of course, the um, delegates from various countries. So the U.S. sent Vice President Kamala Harris. We had the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. Of course, Elon Musk, the head of Tesla and XAI and other companies, and OpenAI's Sam Altman. And, uh, you know, this is the whole event was sort of demonstrating the high level of global interest in AI safety. So this is the the big show, at least for now.
0: Well, there was a couple notables that, of course, people were like, look who's missing. And that was also two people, Emmanuel Macron. And uh, Mr. Joe Biden, who we've been talking about a little bit with his executive order. So, you know, they're saying, well, those two people weren't there, and that's very notable. And so, therefore, that can impact the effectiveness of and the global accept acceptance of whatever outcomes come from this summit. I mean, I don't, I don't know. He it's, sent Kamala, right? Keep a bit loose. He sent Kamala. I mean, geez, we sent the vice president, people. <laughs> like... Maybe Mr. President couldn't go, okay? There's a lot going on.
1: (laughs) And political pundits will, of course, say things like, and they might not be wrong, that it's it's tough for vice presidents to stand out because the presidents get all the attention, and you know having some key portfolios for a vice president to aid visibility, um, especially if they have presidential aspirations in the future. And there's been some questions about her viability uh, as as a candidate uh, vis-a-vis you know who the uh, opposition might be. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's let's get let's get uh, Harris out there and. Um, represent, so to speak. But Macron from France not being there, well, he's, they're right in the heart of the EU. Mm-hmm. Come on. That, to
0: me, was more notable.
1: So the uh, one of the key outputs from this uh, series of discussions and you know throughout this uh, the, this couple of days, it was a two-day summit, so how much can you actually get done? But they came up with something called the Bletchley uh, Decor- Declaration. And I'm sure it was you know, I, I'm sure they had a drafted ahead of time, but mm-hmm. they just had people sign on uh, at, at the uh, at the event there. And the Bletchley Declaration was signed by 28 countries, including major players like the U.S., China, and the EU, acknowledging the risks posed by AI and committing to international cooperation to identify and mitigate these risks. This declaration aims to foster global collaboration on AI safety and sets a two-pronged agenda focused on identifying shared concerns regarding AI risks and building cross-country policies for risk mitigation. So again, these are just some early steps.
0: Well, I don't want to be a naysayer here because obviously something like this, like a declaration, it is significant and it's a good step in the right direction. But like, there's still a lot of disagreements over the specifics of AI regulation and who should be leading the efforts and... And even how we regulate, like, there's still all these different disagreements. So that really showcases the challenges in reaching a global agreement on AI governance. Like, especially we're talking about China's included in this and we know how they want to be using AI. So to me, it's kind of like, I mean, cool that they signed this, but... There's
1: there's a lot of TBD in this department. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. And both the U.S. and the U.K. have taken the initiative to announce plans to launch their own AI safety institutes. And we just mentioned earlier on about what NIST is doing and, of course, the Department of Energy. and Not to mention all the other nonprofits that already exist, but this is the ones with government blessings. And those uh, safety institutes are aimed at regulating the development and use of AI technologies, signaling a commitment to future regulatory efforts. So yeah, we just got to get some more public agencies there. Everything will be tickety boo.
0: Perhaps. Or it could lead to more of like a fragmented and kind of inconsistent regulations, if you think about it. Because if every country kind of take different stances and they have different AI safety institutes here and one there and, uh, you know, is this going to hinder global cooperation? And we talked last week, didn't, you know, we say the more the more groups involved, the more things can be slowed down. So hopefully, if we get a peek behind the curtain about really what's what's in this uh, agreement, if you will, maybe it would answer some of our burning questions. But I hate to keep saying it, Tristan. We're going to have to wait and see.
1: <laughs> well, the, uh, the, the tech firms that were represented there uh, included Meta and Google DeepMind, which actually was – founded in the UK Mm -hmm. and then got bought by Google and kind of combined with their, uh, eventually combined with their other AI efforts, open AI. They've all expressed their commitment by agreeing to allow regulators to test their latest AI products before public release, indicating a sector-wide acknowledgement of AI risks.
0: Which I love very much, but this is like a volunteer thing, right? Mm, It's a volunteer agreement. You don't have to, you're not, None of these companies are legally obligated to comply in any type, you know, sense of the word there. So it's kind of like balancing transparency with proprietary interests could get a little bit challenging. I don't know that we necessarily, I mean, do we want to say things we need legal compliance in certain things? I mean, I know that's part of what we talked about with the executive order in the States at least, but yeah, it's going to be kind of interesting to see if this actually means anything. We know a lot of big companies say things a lot of the time and they say like okay here's a little a little aside. Whenever we watch our little Google events or our Apple events and they talk about what percentage of their their phones and their devices are made with green technology and they're going to go 100% green and when we hear the word green this and green and we think oh great this is so good and everybody overlooks all the actual offputs they're putting into the environment, right? So is it actually them signing it? Is it actually going to hold them accountable, keep their feet to the fire? Or is it just something for them to pat themselves on the back and say, look, we're open to AI safety and regulation. (sighs) Am I being too negative for you this episode? I'm usually the positive
1: one. (laughs) Well, I think one of the frustrations that could emerge quite, easily is the slowdown that may be represented by having to jump through additional hoops before like one of the things about software generally in this a lot of this you know ai stuff is in the software realm even in the hardware like since when have you had to have uh, regulators like approve your your gpus uh, you know that you're you're manufacturing like nvidia and, and the like or you know you want the government to you know, take a look at Microsoft Word before it gets released. Well, now if you're integrating AI technologies into Microsoft Word, does that do you, does that have to pass muster with your government agency of choice? Let alone some you know, other high-profile things like I. I could see tech companies who are you know known for moving fast and breaking things. One of Facebook's original internal mantras there. Uh, d- are they going to want to sit around for three months while you have you know government bureaucrats re- review all this stuff to you know make sure it meets their 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 guidelines, or do you want to like push ahead and get that edge on your competitors? You know, not not to mention like the <laughs> the geopolitical rivalries going on as uh, as well, where speed is everything, keeping an edge up, uh, getting an edge on your competitors. So anyway, um, there's 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 some other little uh, issues, they, they, some of the potential risks that they were. Uh, Talking about included the risks associated with open source AI, again, touched on a few minutes ago. That, that was a topic of discussion with concerns over malicious misuse by bad actors and the creation of super intelligence beyond human control. So people like Elon Musk and yet another AI godfather, Yoshua Bengio, who's from Canada, represent, um, <laughs> and uh, of course, Jeffrey Hinton, another AI godfather was there, who Whose take on this stuff has been a little more nuanced. When he first left Google, we talked about this several months ago on our other show, Momentous Live, that he was leaving Google's Deep Mind project because he wanted to be able to more honestly and transparently comment on some of the developments. Some people thought that he was an AI doomer, and he's he's come out and saying like, "No, I'm not a doomer per se. I'm a I just I just want to take a, a common sense approach to these things." And he is. Uh, distancing himself from some of the other folks who are a little more pessimistic, but the idea—I think—the attention being paid to open source is is so important because, as mentioned, if you've got open source AI projects that are developing really powerful models, well, that means anyone can access them and fork them into their own projects and use that power, maybe not for such great purposes.
0: Yeah, it's really about finding a balance, right? Because open source is great for transparency and like the speed of innovation, but then. You also have to kind of balance that with safety, which is what the whole name of the game is here.
1: That's the challenge. I'm so so glad
0: it's smarter people than us that are happy to deal with that.
1: So what do you do? Do you tell open source projects it can't be open source anymore? Like...
0: (laughs) No, it's I mean that's what to... I mean.
1: It, I mean, open. I, I guess open AI, I don't know if they are open source exactly, but they were a nonprofit, and now people are cl- calling them. Some people are calling them closed AI because they're not nearly as open as they used to be, especially since they got that sweet, sweet Microsoft.
0: You're money. never gonna. <clears throat> this is anytime you do anything in the world, you're never gonna impress everybody. I'm gonna go off on a side true, tangent. True. I mean, this somebody's is, this podcast being be... a case in point, you're right? Like somebody's <laughs> always gonna be upset, and it's like just take the innovation for what it is. You guys, yeah. seriously.
1: One of the other things that uh, kind of came to light during the summit was existing disagreements on regulatory approaches. The uh, UK is proposing a light touch approach to AI regulation that kind of fits with uh, Rishi Sunak's uh, bit more conservative or quasi libertarian uh, thoughts on certain things, which contrasts with the EU's stricter AI act. And one thing we know about the EU is they love to EU. They (laughs) They love them some regulation as evidenced by GDPR and other things, you know, great intentions, Privacy, data handling, and the like, but big tech has really been h- hitting a lot of roadblocks with the EU lately. Of threatened, it was, there's lawsuits being threatened against various big tech companies for not complying with this, that, and the other thing, really um, making it difficult for things like targeted advertising. And like, so yeah, let's we I mean, say what you want about privacy and you know, be, getting these creepy, very targeted ads. But the uh, the I guess the other side of that is you see ads that are totally irrelevant to you, and is that more annoying? I, I, so the, the EU has taken a very clear stance on a lot of these, uh, issues again. Including AI UK is trying to be a little less heavy handed there, but so this, there's some diversity in the regulatory frameworks showcased in the challenge, uh, showcase the challenges in achieving unified global standards. Cause again, everyone's got their own take on these things. And then one of the other things that raised a few eyebrows was China's participation in, in this whole process. Of course, because uh, you know, there you think about things like their domestic application of AI, really good. Think, facial recognition, how that all ties into your social credit score and the mass surveillance state they have. Again, kind of surprising that the EU, they, that uh, UK is taking a light touch, given the kind of quasi-surveillance state that they've developed over the last uh, one or two decades with you know, CCTV everywhere, and I guess you start applying AI uh, sauce onto that, it could get r- even more powerful and dystopian. So maybe Sunak's trying to pump the brakes a little on that stuff. Um, so China has some academics and officials who are also concerned about the potential dangers of AI, and, and they call for tighter regulation. So you know, AI's ambition to become a global leader in AI by 2030 has led to U.S. export restrictions on AI chips and equipment to China. So AI, sorry, China's being deliberately suppressed and not being allowed to access the latest AI chips from manufacturers such as NVIDIA. They have not been allowed access <clears throat> to certain types of very sophisticated lithography machines uh, for manufacturing microprocessors, so keeping them always a generation behind as well. I'm sure like China resents that a little bit. But you know, when the rubber hits the road with these large geopolitical developments and The People can think of this summit in a way as like a baby version of nuclear summits from decades past because nuclear power had held a lot of promise for technology as AI does, but it also, we saw nuclear weapons proliferation. So if you start talking about AI and the use for military and autonomous drones and targeting and all these things, it it starts getting a little scary, right? So they're trying to, negotiate or navigate this path between uh, capturing the benefits of AI, but ensuring that uh, we don't end up with the proliferation of, you know, weaponized (laughs) AI a little much. So great, I guess, good to have China there, but there's, there's maybe another take on uh, why China, some people in China might, or if China were to say to the, uh, you know, agree with their academics and research thing. Yes, yes, more regulation. Is there a hidden agenda for wanting more regulation?
0: Well, my eyebrows were raised when I heard that China was there. I feel like China's like, yeah, yeah, we'll sign this non-legally binding agreement. Let us in. (laughs) Let us in, let us in, let us in. So, I mean, the effectiveness of future regulatory efforts, it's really going to depend on The level of adherence by all of these countries by major ai developing entities and on reconciling the different regulatory approaches that we kind of talked about so i i don't want to be the i don't want to be the doomer here i don't want to be the naysayer all the time tristan but i feel like how should i say this some people's motives are different than other people's (laughs) motives (laughs) That's how I'll wrap that.
1: <laughs> well, so for for example, you know, if they said, okay, yeah, we should let's slow things down, regulate, regulate, regulate. Like you said, they may decide not to agree, but also they're if they're already being suppressed from you know lack to uh, d- due to lack of access to certain hardware, um, maybe they want everyone else to slow down, so it gives them a bit more of a chance to catch up, right?
0: This is true. Well, I guess we'll see some progress with the next AI safety summits because there's some other ones coming up, right? There's one hosted by South Korea mid-2024, and then France is going to do one in late 2024.
1: Maybe Macron will show up to that (laughs) one. I was just
0: going to say, you think (laughs) Macron will come to his own? I don't know. (laughs) So, I mean, this does indicate that there's going to be ongoing international dialogue and efforts of some kind on AI safety and regulation, which is a little bit promising. Mm Mm-hmm. There, I'm being positive for you, Tristan.
1: There you go. But of course, the success of these future summits will hinge on continued global cooperation and commitment as everyone holds hands in a circle and sings Kumbaya. And of course, the ability to reconcile differing regulatory approaches amidst geopolitical tensions. So just like the UN, is going to be totally effective 100% of the time.
0: Well, I think it would be cool to talk a little bit about Bletchley Park, just the history for real quick. Give some people some stats.
1: Where this all happened. Yeah, Yeah.
0: exactly. So Bletchley Park was once the top secret home of Britain's World War II code breakers. So it housed the men and women who succeeded in breaking what was seemingly impenetrable codes and ciphers, including Nazi Germany's Enigma code. So you may recognize this one named Tristan. A notable Bletchley Park code breaker included mathematician Alan Turing, who played a key role in cracking the Enigma code and is often considered the father of computer science. So it's kind of a cool little little throw, a little nod to Bletchley Park, which I love.
1: By having it there too. Yeah. When, a, a quick little Bletchley Park anecdote. Back in the, I guess, early to mid 80s, my mom sent me to speech arts lessons with her uh, teacher that she had when she was, at my age, so this was probably around, I guess, 10, 11, 12 years old, and we got trained on how to do things like you know, poetry reading, Bible reading, Shakespeare, you know, speech writing, public speaking, like all that stuff, a little bit of mime as well, and my private tutor for that, her name was Audrey Mellers. and a little bit later, in the, uh, toward the end of our uh, tenure, <laughs> I suppose, our collaboration, she was finally able to reveal to me that she actually was working in the division of Bletchley Park as one of these code breakers. So at the time her name was Audrey Hickey and she passed away a number of years ago, but she worked in the N- Newmanry, which was a section of Bletchley Park. And its job was to develop and employ statistical and machine methods in cryptanalysis of the Lorenz cipher. Not sure what that is. Worked very closely with the test tree where a complementary set of operations were performed to complete the decryption of each message. Formerly called the statistical section, it was known as the Newmanry after its founder and head, Max Newman. It was responsible for the various Robinson machines, naturally, and then the 10 Colossus computers, which were instrumental in the code-breaking efforts. And uh, so that was kind of cool. And I found my teacher. This is... Um, this archived uh, page from uh, Wikipedia, uh, host, hosted on IPFS, the Interplanetary File System. And yeah, so my old uh, speech arts teacher, Audrey uh, Hickory, uh, later Audrey Mellers, um, was was part of that. And I got to see proof that she was part of that team. So that's uh, that's pretty neat. And she, she was excited to reveal to me when certain things were de- 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 declassified back then because she knew I was really into computers. So that was a, a neat little moment we had back in the 80s with... 12-year-old Tristan. That's so cool. Just one little thing from uh, the out- outputs of this, uh, this U- UK Safety Summit. I think it's well summed up in this uh, cartoon uh, from, or this comic from Caltoons you can find uh, online. And it's got representations of the, the UK, Europe, China and US, uh, and saying we declare that AI poses a potentially catastrophic risk to humankind. And I cannot wait to develop it first. So when this goes online, or you can see it in the show notes. You can click through in the show notes and see the comic. It's a not entirely wrong necessarily.
0: It's it's a scary funny. <laughs> <laughs> I guess is how we would say it.
1: Okay. So um, and the other thing we will leave you with is some, um, some primers on AI safety. If you want to learn more about the sorts of things that they're all talking about in these um, uh, in, the, in summits like this. We've got some articles over the, from the last few years, some b- blog posts and key primers, uh, some research papers that uh, of varying levels of uh, intensity. Uh, we'll leave those in the show notes as well for you to d- wade through all the different kind of issues on AI safety. Should you want to go down that rabbit hole.
0: Well, we've done it again, Tristan. Somehow, just barely, <laughs> just barely. We try to keep it tight. We squeaked by. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of AI Named This Show. Believe it or not, we are still new. It's only episode 12. So we would love your feedback. Email us anytime. Feedback at AI dot com. You can also find us. Anywhere you get your podcast, So be sure to give us a follow, share this episode. Please leave us a review, five stars preferred. We're also on all the socials. We are at AI, named this show literally on all of the socials. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: AI and goodbye. <laughs>